Welcome to the Pardes Parsha podcast. My name is Tzvi Hirschfield, and I have the distinct privilege and pleasure of discussing the profound analysis and deep insights into the Parsha from my wonderful colleagues at the Pardes Institute. So glad you could join us. Hello, everyone, and uh, welcome to another podcast. I am privileged today to have actually my boss, the director of uh, Pardes's year program, Rabbi Dr. Mish Hammer Kasoy. We are up to Parshat Vayetze, and I want to remind you, because we record these uh, early, you're hearing it three weeks or so later after we're doing it, and there's no doubt that given what's happening in Israel today and the situation today, uh, that's going to come out in the Torah that Mish is going to share and I'm going to respond to. And of course, it's our fervent hope and prayer that by the time you're listening to this, the hostages are home, the soldiers are safe, Israel is safe, and the Jewish people are safe. Amen. So having said all that, welcome, Mish, and thank you for doing this. All right. Thanks, Sui. So, uh, it, you know, it's a very interesting Parsha, especially the cliffhanger that we get. Yaakov <laughs> is running away. He uh, he has stolen slash received the blessing. His brother has vowed to kill him. Uh, his mother is sending him away. His father is sending him away. And for it seems like the first time in his life, he is leaving home and hearth. He's leaving his protective mother and his elderly blind father. He's leaving the tents in which he felt so comfortable. And uh, now he is journeying off towards a somewhat unknown, whatever, you know, whatever Haran might look like to him. He's going to also be leaving the land of Israel. So how does that frame the Parsha for you? And how do you understand what's happening for Yaakov? Right. Well said. He's fleeing for his life. He's not going to return for more than 20 years. He's alone. He's penniless. And it seems to characterize Jacob, actually. Jacob is a person of night. The two central moments in his life, the one this week, the dream at the beginning of our Parsha, and next week, his wrestling with the angel, both of those happen in the night. And he's our national father, right? He's the person. His name changes to Israel, and he becomes the father of the 12 tribes. He gets that name, Israel in the darkness. So I'm thinking today about what does Yaakov's nighttime collision with a place to teach us about darkness that we're facing specifically at this time. So I guess we're, we're going to go there. We're going to go straight into the darkness as our forefather Jacob did. So basically what you're telling us, there's something, the fact this episode happens at nighttime, it's not an accident in this story, that it's somehow encountering God at night, encountering one's future at night, is telling us something about who the character is and a sort of mode of connection that's happening. You know, the Torah uses the word, and Rashi makes a lot about Yaakov went out of Beersheba and he went towards Haran, and he, the translation here is, he came upon a certain place, but the word feels like it's just totally not that. The, Paga is the same root that's used for pigua, for an attack. And it's like the knight has attacks him. The place struck him, if you will. That's right. He didn't arrive there gently. It's almost like he landed with a great big hit. And Rashi says, Kiba Hashemish, that uh, it should have said, Vayavo Hashemish, because the sun said, it could have said, the sun said, and he tarried there all night. But it said, because the sun set, the Shemish came all of a sudden. It was unexpected. He wasn't expecting then that moment of night, but he was 
attacked by the knight at that moment, and he had no choice. So the in the Rashi before that, he says, Kaftsalo Haaretz, the land jumped on him and shrunk up before him because he was feeling so out of sorts around the night. So this is not somebody who is meeting God after hours of meditation and preparation. And uh, I sometimes imagine Isaac, right, he goes out to Lasuach, right, to mm-hmm. meditate or talk, whatever he's doing out in the field. It's a gentle, calm perspective. This is somebody running away who is apparently struck by the place by nighttime, by all those things that are probably running through his mind. And for you, if I understand you correctly, that is significant in understanding what's going to happen to him next. That's right. And he goes to sleep at that place. He puts rocks under his head. He goes to sleep. The Midrash understands that, well, he falls asleep and he has a dream of the angels going up and going down. And then he wakes up in the morning. And he says, oh my gosh, he's afraid. Wow, God is in this place, and I didn't know. And he says, How awesome is this place? Nothing other than God's house, and this is the gates to heaven. The Midrash focuses on the words, He wakes up very suddenly from his, it's the simple reading is sleep. Rabbi Yochanan says, Mimishnato from his learning. Yeah, the rabbis always find everybody's learning Torah everywhere. They can't get away from it. I right? know, I know. I love that. Don't you love yeah, that? Yaakov had night seder. What, what else would Yaakov <laughs> be doing at night if he's not going to night well, seder? Apparently, he was doing that for 10 years nonstop, and he never slept. Rashi says that also. <laughs> he went to sleep at that place. Only in that place, because for 10 years, he didn't go to sleep. He was just learning Torah, staking away in the Pardes Beit Midrash the whole time. Well, there's also something ironic about that, that all those years of learning Torah, God doesn't talk to him. God comes to talk to him precisely when, you know what, I'm going to take a night off. I'm running. I'm exhausted. I'm taking night Seder off. And it's precisely when he takes night Seder off in this moment of being exposed and everything else, that's the moment that God then visits him personally. I, you know, the, we're going to get to the Moor B'Shemesh, and I think he reads it your way. But I think Rabbi Yochanan actually meant it the other way. He had this realization of God because he's been learning. His Torah prepped him for it. His Torah prepped him for it. And I think, like, specifically, Mimishnato. I like, you know, Vashinansam Levanecha. You should repeat them to your child. This idea, Mishnah can mean that you learn Torah a lot as he was doing for 10 years, and the Torah prepped him for it. And it can also mean like his repetition, his routine. And I think that when you get to a moment of night, what that what Rabbi Yochanan here is suggesting, that in a moment of night, there's two things that can prepare you for night. One is a lot of Torah, 10 years at Pardes, not one year, not two years, not three years, 10 years at Pardes, and a lot of routine, having a constant routine that you can lean into in a moment, even when it gets interrupted, the fact that you've got that routine helps you gain stability, have a sense that the land underneath you is stable. It helps you gain stability. So that's the first tool, I would say, that the Torah or that the rabbis are laying out for us about what to do in night. One is to lean into stability, routine, get up every morning, go to work, and keep moving. 
that routine keeps us stable. Coming to the Pardes Bait Midrash keeps us stable. Okay, so let's take it back, Little Mitz, just so we can, I think I see where you're going, but let's make sure I'm getting you correctly. For you, his nighttime is a time of uncertainty, of fear, of difficulty. And what you're suggesting, if I understand, is that this text is also speaking to us about how we can manage our nighttimes. That's right. And I'm assuming that part of what you're suggesting, which I'm certainly there is right now, we feel like we're in a nighttime. And you're saying there are tools here that have been laid out for us about not only how we can manage, but in, in, in this case, uh, Yaakov grows and he, he changes and he reaches a new level. So the first one you're saying is we desperately need to maintain the routine, our routine of Torah study, our routine of prayer, our routine of communal participation. This is dafka the moment to stick with where we have been, even though I guess all of us have an impulse to feel like, well, where I've been didn't work, and now I need to reach <laughs> for something else because all the other stuff didn't work. And here you're saying no, that the Midrash is sort of pointing to the idea that Yaakov maintained a routine, and that routine actually was essential to him. If I didn't have like that Torah to lean into, I'd be totally lost in my in my suffering. So the Part A students are getting up and the, it's hard to come to the Beit Midrash every morning. But when you come to the Beit Midrash, it keeps you moving somehow through the day. And, and that, I think that's definitely been true for me too, is that keeping moving is helpful. But I don't think that's the primary. I mean, I really love that Midrash from Rabbi Yochanan, but the more famous one that probably every more people know is Vifka is a word for tefillah, that, that Yaakov tikein tefillat aravit at that moment, that Yaakov established the evening prayer. If we've got Avraham, he's a shachrit guy. Yitzchak is a mincha guy. We daven twice a day because of them. Those are the fixed prayers. And at that moment, Yaakov said it was night, and uh, he, he davened mariv. I really like the Sfat Emet on this. The Sfat Emmet focuses on this question. Rashi says, I, which I read before, it says, Lok tiv v'yit palel. It doesn't say that, that Yaakov prayed. Rather, lilam dechak shekaftza lo ha'aretz. He used that word yifga to tell you that the land jumped underneath him, that he was he was hanging on to all of the Eretz Yisrael. He's at the border of the country, and somehow he's not just hanging on to the edge of the land of, the, of Israel, but he's actually gathered it all under him like a pillow that scrunched up underneath him. And the Spasimus is like, what the heck? I don't get it. What's the connection between Aravit and the crinkling up of the land underneath us? And what he says is, there's something powerful about the nighttime, the darkness, which is a time of uncertainty. And I think that like one thing we've, I don't know how about you, Svi, but I think like for me and for many of the students, a lot of what's really hard is just the total uncertainty. We don't know what's going to be next. The things that we thought that we could hold on to are suddenly unshuffled, unstable. Every morning when I say there's so many brachas in Birkat HaShachar, but one that I've been really focusing on is Rokah Haaretz Alamayim. The land is unstable. And uh, says the Sfat Emmet that specifically that sense of instability of the land gave Vyakov the ability to desire to feel that like ratzon is the language he uses. It was he had so much desire, and the desire was so strong that it had the force. <laughs> he had the force, and he was able to bring the land to him because of that. And it's totally unnatural, he says, because surely the nighttime is not a place of revelation. 
of light. But because he wanted it so much, he was able to draw it out. And the text says, Shalom, shalom, lekarov, lerachok. Peace for those that are near to us and those that are far to us. And, and says the Svat Emmet, nothing bad comes from God. Therefore, we have to understand that the distance, hugam kein letova, that distancing is also a good thing for us. Because by way of that distancing, we found this tremendous desire, that need, and that need brought us to pray better and was actually able to cause revelation of God even in that crazy time. And that's what it means, kaftzaharetz, because there was every person can know that there's no place there's no place where you can't feel the internal light of God just by way of really desiring and working on it. You know, there's something both inspiring, but also in my mind, very difficult in what you're saying. If I understand correctly, the idea here is that nighttime is a time of uncertainty and even fear. And those can actually be prods or tools to deepen our search for God, right? If God's right in front of us, we don't have to look for him. But if we don't know where God is, we're going to have to take it upon ourselves to search. And on the one hand, a piece of me hears that, and that this is a moment in time where perhaps we're supposed to work even harder because God is even more hidden. And to be quite honest, there's a piece of me that feels like I'm prayed out. You know, we walked into Simchat Torah after a month of Svarti Slichot and Elul <laughs> and uh, all the praying that we did in Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, all those Avinu Malkainas that we said. And uh, so it also challenges me because I, I feel prayed out. I feel like, where did it go? Where did it lead? And uh, I understand what you're saying. You're saying that Yaakov is the model. It almost anticipates the Jewish people are going to have periods of night. And uh, the Gera Rebbe is telling us that we have to seize on it in some way as an opportunity. We can't explain why God does what he does, but we have to seize on it as an opportunity to work harder to find that relationship, which I find both inspiring, but also frighteningly challenging. Frighteningly challenging. I have to say, that's why I thought to bring four tools and not just one, because I've been really able to lean into prayer a lot. I've been davening a lot. I find myself late to all my meetings because I like forgot how long it could take to daven shachri. But but it's not going to work for everybody. The the Ma'or Vashemesh, he actually like really digs into that prayer thing by turning back to the Midrash, which said he he undermines the, the Midrash about learning Torah. The Lord. Rabbi Yochanan says he woke up from his learning Torah, and of course you have to learn Torah all the time. Learn Torah, learn Torah, learn Torah. But then only when you stop, as you said, when you stop learning Torah, then you can pray at the combination of the Torah and the prayer. So if one thing doesn't work for you, Tzvi, try the other thing. And then you never know, like sometimes you'll get to that magic combination of the two things together, or or maybe not of the two things together, but somewhere along, you'll come to it. Yeah, I was going to say, so far, the two tools that you're putting out there are familiar to me. we got to learn more Torah, and we got to pray harder. There's no new news here. I am afraid that I don't have a revelation for you in this. The Masilis Yasharim, you know the Ramchal, he says that uh, I don't have anything new to tell you. It's all but been you said like before. before. I'm just going to review like it for you. Review it for it, but you know we forget it and we don't go back to it. And it's important to, to do yoga. And the teacher says, "Don't forget to breathe." And you're like, "Oh right, I forgot to breathe." So don't forget to daven. Don't forget to learn Torah. And Rabbi Sachs says, "Don't forget to dream." You know, like, let's not forget to put that at the center here is this dream. And this is what Rabbi Sachs says. His words are always so beautiful. Dream dreams. Never be afraid to let your imagination soar. When people come to me for advice about leadership, I tell them, 
to give themselves the time and space and imagination to dream. In dreams, we discover our passion, and following our passion is the best way to live a rewarding life. Dreaming is often thought to be impractical. Not so. It is one of the most practical things we can do. There are people who spend months planning a holiday but do not give even a day to planning their life. They let themselves be carried by the winds of chance and circumstance. That is a mistake, the sages say. Wherever in the Torah we find the word vayahi, it, it came to pass, is always the prelude to tragedy. A vayahi life is one in which we passively let things happen. A yahi, let there be life, is one in which we make things happen. And it is our dreams that give us direction. So I think like to remember that the dream, you can think this dream is this moment of of being unrealistic. Right now is a good time to think about dreams because everything is so dark, really. And we it's hard to find moments of optimism. And we have to let those dreams happen because if we don't have those dreams, then we really won't be able to move forward. The dreams are going to be what pulls us. And that coming back to Yaakov, that's what we do in the night. We dream. You know, it's, I don't know if it's funny, it's ironic. I feel like you're hitting on all the things I'm struggling with right now. Uh, my Torah learning lacks focus. My prayer is deeply challenged. And I think one of the things that in some way I feel has, I don't want to use the word broken because that's too permanent, but my sense of hopefulness about where we're going, we as the Jewish people, we here in the land of Israel, it's been very hard to maintain a sense of, if I understand you mean by dream, a, a vision, a positive vision for the future that we can aspire to. And uh, on the one hand, I see the necessity of it, but boy, it's very hard to get there. It's so hard. It's so hard. But I, I'm thinking, you know, as we're communicating with Rachel Goldberg, as you know, her son was taken captive, Hirsch. Um, maybe I'll dive it. Please, God, by the time you listen to this, Hirsch. Hirsch ben Perochana, Yonatan Shimshim will be back in the arms of his parents. And all the rest of the hostages as well. Amen, amen. amen. Um, and every day I was writing her with, uh, you know, we're praying for your son, may he be back soon. And I started to move into, I'm not praying for your son, I'm praying for the Mashiach. <laughs> and the Mashiach is coming and she says, and send him again. And uh, tell him to pick up Hirsch on the way there. And uh, I think that when we start to dream bigger, we can breathe a little bit more. And I think, look, lohem v'loscharem, yisurim are not chavivim. We don't love to have suffering, even though the Talmud says chavivim yisurim. Rabbi Yochanan goes to each person and says, do you like suffering? And they say, lohem v'loscharem, thanks, but no thanks. And I think all of us are feeling lohem v'loscharem. We could live without this suffering. And yet, if we've got it, we have to make the best of it. We have to turn it into an opportunity. It's an opportunity to pray, to pray more deeply, to work on our prayer, to work on our routine, to really lean in. There's so much that's been written about adversity and how much you can grow from adversity. I'm against it. I'm in favor of the easy life. But since I wasn't given a choice. You know, it's ironic. Even when Yaakov wakes up from this great big moment, right, he famously makes a, a vow, if you'll be with me, then I will repay this vow. And I always wondered, God just promised him the whole thing is his. Why keep traveling? Turn around, go home, confront your brother and say, I already know it's me. And so there's a piece of me that always thinks like he buys the dream, but he doesn't buy the dream. He's somewhere in, in the middle. Like he, it's a, the dream is strong enough to maintain him and keep him going forward, but there's enough doubt there 
where I guess for him, there's always a certain amount of painful doubt that, that goes along with it, that even Yaakov doesn't get certainty. What he gets is a, a vision of something that he is clinging to and trying to maintain. But the way I read him, there's always a certain amount of doubt. Maybe sin is going to cause us. I think Yaakov is plagued his whole life until his, on his dying bed. They say, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, we're all with you. And I think that that's healthy. You know, I could say that characterizes the Jewish people, but I think it characterizes human beings to, on the one hand, be able to dream, be able to lean into Torah, be able to lean into these things and to try to have faith and also not to take it for granted, because the minute you take it for granted, it will slip away from you. The whole point is that you keep striving for it. The combination of bitachon vehishtadlus, of uh, on the one hand, trusting that God will take care of us, and the other hand, making sure that we help along the way. That's even more than trusting God take care of us, but also trusting that we kind of understand what God wants from us. That our dream is in line with his dream. I think that's the other question that keeps popping up. That how do I know that my dream is the right dream? And to trust that, that the dream that I have is actually the right dream. I am on the right course, even though it looks like there are so many obstacles in my path. I don't really see how I can get there. That for me is sort of the, the important takeaway there. Mm, I usually think of Amuna as the trust is that God knows what it's going to be and that it'll be okay even if it's not what I think it is. You know, I'm always davening for things and and saying, and I know you know better than me, God. Um, I'm trusting you to take care of it and that it will be okay even if it's not okay. I'm trying to lean into that a lot these days. Wow. So we've got learning Torah. We've got uh, prayer. We've got holding on to our dreams and our optimism and a better vision for the future. Last but not least, Heschel. Heschel on prayer, he says, prayer, but he just a twist on prayer. Prayer as an episode, as a cursory incident, will not establish a home in the land of oblivion. Prayer must pervade as a climate of living, and all of our acts must be carried out as variations on the theme of prayer. A deed of charity, an act of kindness, a ritual moment, each is prayer in the form of a deed. And I think... I feel this the most at this time where every every step I take is a yearning and a prayer to try to put into, there's not enough words in the world for all of the praying that I need to do for 240 captives, for all of our children on the front line, for all of the suffering in this world, the anti-Semitism. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's a great list. <laughs> uh, but also I think that idea of our deeds reflecting our prayers, like my take on that is that we pray for justice and wisdom and forgiveness and redemption and rebuilding and all these wonderful things we pray for. And I almost hear him saying, if your prayer is genuine, it will translate into your own deeds trying to make those things happen. Mm. Like, in other words, it's not just saying, God, you take care of it, I'm tired, which is often how I pray, because I'm <laughs> often very tired. But it's, God, I know you want to take care of this, and you want us to help you take care of this, and therefore the things that I'm doing in this world matter because they're in line with the things that I am praying for, because I know the things I am praying for are the things that you want to see happen. Absolutely, but also just that the way that you do them is a prayer, meaning that it's not just that you're moving towards the world you want to see 
through actions, but that as you're doing it, it is an act of worship to God. Everything that we do is really a walking prayer. I'm acting. I'm God's hands and feet. Every bone in my body is trying to do God's work. But as I'm doing it, I am really trying to make it that my feet are praying and not just walking towards, but that I've got a sense of yearning with God. Going back, I think, to the Sfat Emmet about Ratzon. What is that Ratzon and how is it translating, not just in the moment, because maybe this is like me because I can't hold the thought for so long. And so sometimes, you know, I have a few moments of connection in prayer and then I didn't remember to pray every single brachai or can. I got distracted by praying for, oh God, because there's so many needs. And then I go back and I'm still all day is an ongoing prayer. So yes, it's deeds. And it's also the mental state that I'm bringing to those deeds, which has a sharpness and a poignancy in these particular days that I hope God is hearing and heeding. Yeah, I'm hoping that too. That would be really good news if that was the case. So here we have these tools. What would you say to somebody? And I realize you didn't prep for this question, so it's a little bit unfair, but I'll ask it anyways. What would you say to somebody who, who's still struggling? They're trying to do these things that you're mentioning, but they still feel, you know, Hashem, Eli Eli, Lama Azavtani. Like they still feel this sense, God, my God, why have you abandoned me? They lack the place to plug in a sense of rejuvenation. Maybe I'm also asking this question for myself. What do you say to that person? How do you counsel that person? Oh, the Katsmi Mishnato. Right, that you just keep digging into routine and moving forward and trying, trying this, trying that. I really think that that routine is what we have to lean into and to understand that even the greatest spiritual, you know, Jesus's last words were also. <laughs> he was a little upset too. Yeah, I get it. But I think it's okay for great spiritual people to also feel moments of crying and moments of distance and to understand that also the distance is part of it and to call out to God and to call out stronger and to keep trying. And that's the human condition. Well, I guess uh, you've challenged us challenged me. I'm hoping that everyone's listening can feel some of the uh, I don't know, the positive energy that you're still holding on to and that the tools are working for you and that uh, we should be encouraged to try them. You know, I, I keep coming back to this, what you mentioned before about Yaakov at night, and he battles the Ish later on all night, but eventually dawn does break, right? The, the light does. He battles until the light starts to show, right? Ad alota shachar, and that uh, the question of how we hold on to the idea the light really is going to come, uh, both in our individual lives and the people who are going through such terrible, terrible things, and as the Jewish people. That uh, what you're suggesting is we're Yaakov because on some level, we are always in the night because we always have a vision of a world that we want to be better and should be better. And we don't really get to see that world. And we get glimpses. But that we are, you know, creatures of the night sounds like we're vampires, but our spiritual strength is used in the nighttime. Wow, Tzvi, that was beautiful. I should have asked you the question. You know, Yaakov's midah is emet. There's a truth in the night, in this moment of darkness, in this confusion. And uh, the Klal uh, Gadol Torah, the great principle, as Shimon ben Pazi said, stick with the routine, keep moving forwards. The light will sing the songs that you can sing, but keep moving. I really do believe that this is going to be, I can't even say it. 
Maybe I don't believe it either. Well, <laughs> I'm hoping that you do after all those previous minutes where you sure sounded like I you believe it. I do believe it. And yet I have, there we go, is like you can believe it and also have moments of fear of saying it out loud. Shema yigro machet. Yeah. Or maybe, you know, it's okay that part of it is having the doubt. You know, it's not belief if there's not doubt that accompanies it. But I still hear you saying through it all that the routine, it's not just a matter of keeping habits, but it's the, the idea that the Jewish people are going to stick with the program. We are going to continue trying to serve God and take care of each other and build a better world, even through the nighttime. Even when it is so challenging to believe that we could succeed, it's so challenging to believe that things could be possible, it's so challenging to believe that it's going to be different for us. But uh, what I hear you saying is we're going to stick with the plan. Uh, we're going to stick with the things that we believe bring us closer to God, make us better people, and ultimately serve our purpose in the world. So at least I can tell you today I'm going to stick with the plan. And I'm probably going to stick with the plan tomorrow and probably the day after that. And maybe that's already an achievement. Maybe that's my job is to stick with the plan in spite of the fact that I have all these doubts and this sense of loneliness and this fear and lack of optimism. But if I'm sticking with the plan, then something is still burning there. What do you think? I think, remember what the Spud Emma said, that the rechuk is also tov. There's nothing bad from God and that the distance is an opportunity. And I want not just to stick with it, but also to use it as an opportunity to leverage it for something better. And I'm looking for that opportunity. I'm dreaming for that opportunity. I'm praying for that opportunity. I'm studying for that opportunity. And I'm moving forwards towards that opportunity at every moment. And through the darkness, the darkness is the uncertainty and, and not really having 100% sure that it's going to work out, but to keep trying and to believe that God will be there with us through it all. Okay. I can't think of a better way to close. Challenging. And I certainly, as we've said, we hope and pray by the time you're listening to this, you're going to be like, oh my gosh, they sound so struggling. And look how wonderful the world is today. Uh, and I, I really hope that that's true. And if it is, that's wonderful. And if it's not, then hearing this will still be helpful, I think, and useful to you. Thank you, Mish, very much for sharing your passion and your emuna in addition to your insights. King Yeratsun Svi. All right, wishing all of you uh, a wonderful, calm, peaceful Shabbat. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in to the Pardes Parsha podcast, recorded here at Nomi Studios in Jerusalem. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode and gained some new insights and perspectives on the Torah portion. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite streaming platform and leave us a five-star review if you enjoyed the episode. Your feedback helps us reach more people with these important conversations. Thanks again for listening, and we look forward to exploring the Torah with you again next week on the Pardes Parsha podcast. Shabbat Shalom.